Hi, this is Chris Morgan, and you're listening to the Urban to Country podcast. Welcome to the Urban to Country podcast, where we talk to outdoor enthusiasts about life, hunting, and how to make everyday epic. Welcome back, guys and gals. On this week's episode, I sit down with my good buddy, Chris Morgan. Chris is an avid hunter, but more importantly, he's a good friend, a husband, and a father. We cover a lot of topics, so buckle up for this one. Uh, As always, we can't thank uh, Pansky enough for the theme music until the end. Go check his stuff out. Links are in the show notes. And I have some phenomenal news. We have finally got all the issues squared away with the podcast and it is live across all platforms so that's itunes spotify stitcher google music you can listen to it on all of those so go subscribe leave us a review let me know what you think about what we're doing and until next time make life epic I'll be uh, I'll be uh, halfway asleep and it'll pop in my head like one o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you have a kid. I'm not texting you at one o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I'm probably that. awake anyhow. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. I am here in Helena, Montana, with Chris Morgan. Thanks for uh, coming on, buddy. Anytime. Appreciate Glad to be it. here. I've known Chris for a while. Uh, he's an avid elk hunter, uh, father, husband. Uh, all around good guy, and uh, he has all he has heavily influenced uh, my path as a hunter. And I don't think I've ever told him that before, but has has helped me out a lot as I've been trying to figure out this hunting thing. So I thought we should sit down, Chris. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and anything else you think they would want to know? Okay, grew up in Pennsylvania, like Marcus. Yeah, uh, been out here for going on 13 years now. So. Uh, probably will never, ever, ever go back to Pennsylvania. I love it there. like to visit there, but don't like living there. Amen. Way better out here. Um, growing up, it was, you know, hunting whitetails, hunting turkeys. Uh, that was pretty much the the gist of it. That's all we really had. So coming to Montana was a bit of a shocker. Um, took me a couple of years to really figure out what all we had involved out here and what, what you could actually hunt. And whenever you, you kind of figure that out, it's it's a year-round thing. It's There's no stopping. Um, the only thing that's slowed me down lately is having my kiddo, but now she's getting to the point where I can drag her along. We do shed hunting trips. We do fishing trips, stuff like that. Sooner or later, she'll be hunting, too. So pretty fun, um, but definitely uh, like to do whatever type of hunting, you name it, mainly bow hunting, but I uh, I carry the rifle around if I need to, um, kind of play around in long range shooting a little bit not necessarily the hunting side of it but you know shooting rocks and steel kind of fun we do a lot of fishing fly fishing you know gear fishing all that uh pretty much you name it um and basically everything i do my wife does so pretty awesome to share all that with her and we're hoping that it'll rub off on our, our kid and so far she's absolutely loving it so can't really complain life's good yeah I think we need to do a, a separate podcast where you share with everybody how you find a wife who is as passionate about hunting as you are. Actually, she might be more. I don't you get know. Lucky. You get That's lucky. That's how. Yeah, you can't really find that. You just get lucky and stumble into it. What, what <laughs> lies did you tell her? Lots. <laughs> uh, no, Amanda. Amanda is awesome. She was on a women's hunting panel that I pulled together, and um, I. I knew that she was going to be good. I didn't know how good she was going to be. And she is one of the, the women that has been most requested to come back mm. on that panel. So, um, yeah, she's pretty cool. But this isn't about her. This is about you. Um, so you moved out to Montana from Pennsylvania. Um, what kind of made that transition happen? Uh, I got a an associate's degree from Penn State um, in wildlife technology found out it was nearly impossible to find any jobs with that degree there in Pennsylvania. Um, me and a buddy of mine kind of started looking and said, well, you know, we could move to a western state somewhere. I was came out to Colorado in like 1999, I think, and really thought it was neat country. Um, 
really wanted to come back essentially and me and my buddy looked around and we decided you know the university of montana had a really good forestry program and we thought well you know let's kill two birds with one stone add on to our degree and then also get hopefully forestry degree um about three quarters of the way through that i decided that i'd rather hunt and fish <laughs> and play a lot more um and started working where i do now and got a couple opportunities and um never have really looked back you know it was it was awesome it was fun you know it was the best classes i've ever been through but uh decided that the forest service wasn't really for me and uh neither was class when you could do all that stuff uh i got heavily into duck hunting and got a lab and that was probably the downfall of my school days <laughs> we hunted about every day so uh, so if you don't mind what do you do now for work what's so you were the for, you did the forestry thing in mm-hmm. school and decided that wasn't what you wanted to do long term. So now what do you do? Now I'm the store manager at Sportsman's Warehouse. Um, I've been at this location for 10, 11 years with the company for 12 or 13, almost since I moved out. So um, I've done a lot of different roles, been a fishing manager, a hunting manager, store manager, um, so on and so forth, and kind of every... Every uh, it was an interesting path that I took to get to where I am. Not most people do, you know, multiple departments, but I did, and it was fun. Kind of uh, rounded me a little bit more. Got to learn a little bit more than I would have. So, um, but yeah, that's what I do now. It's tons of fun. I get to go around all the banquets, promote stuff, meet people like Marcus. You know, have a good time. So, I enjoy it. It's uh, it's challenging at times. You know, you deal with anywhere from 40 to 50 employees on a on a weekly basis and we're all kind of like one big dysfunctional family so uh, <laughs> it, it can be challenging at times you know dealing with people and uh you know playing that game but it's still a blast i love it so that's cool yeah that's cool i mean life rarely goes the way you you think it's going to go but it's amazing Very to true. see the um when you kind of just let go and you just kind of go where the you know, the current's taking you, it usually takes you somewhere pretty awesome, and it seems like you've landed in a really good spot. Yeah, I lived in Missoula for about a year and a half, and then an opportunity came up here in Helena, and I'd never even been to Helena, and I said, uh, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I moved over here. I didn't even have a place when we first opened the store. Just kind of came over and figured, well, I'll, I'll make it happen, so it was pretty fun. So you were with the store from the the opening mm-hmm. of it then? Yep. Okay. Because I remember back, it, what was it before Sportsman's? Well, it was originally Sportsman's for three years, then it was Wholesale Sports for three years, okay. and then now back to Sportsman's. So. Gotcha. I remember when it was Wholesale Sports, that's when I first came out to mm-hmm. Montana, and my uh, my brothers-in-law drug me over the gun counter, and I was like, whoa, that is a lot of guns. <laughs> never been in, a, I mean, where I grew up in Pennsylvania, never been in a sporting goods store, but now... Mm-hmm. Pretty much, if I have some time to kill, I'm in Sportsman's looking at the gun counter, which is kind of funny to to think about. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, you have created a really cool culture in your store, I feel like. You have um, what I feel like are very knowledgeable, very friendly employees for you know the most part. Um, and when you go in there, and I've had other people say this, so this isn't just me talking, but other people say it's like going into a mom and pop sporting goods store. Like it's got that small town, hometown feel. So how do you, how do you get a a big box store to feel that way? Um, We always tell people when we, you know, interview them, we ask them why sportsmen's and usually, you know, they kind of come up with something like that, the atmosphere, the people, the selection, things like that. And uh, I really try to hammer home, hey, look, you have, multiple different places to buy the same exact product in this town um you know what what sets us apart or at least what i hope sets us apart most of the time is our customer service um a a lot of our product knowledge i mean we have we have some phenomenal people in the store that just i mean there's times that i obviously can't know anything everything and i go and bump things off of them bounce things here and there and uh you know we one way or another we always get pretty much what the customer is looking for you know get their questions answered um if i can't you know, John can or Bob can or somebody else like that. So we always try to kind of work as a team and uh, a lot of times, you know, bounce around in different departments as well. You know, some of our guys uh, who work in the camping department are also really well versed in in hunting. Some of the guys in fishing, very well versed in hunting. Um, You know, and obviously pretty much everybody's well versed in footwear because if you do any of that stuff, (laughs) you know, you're kind of going there. So um, it's just kind of fun. And, you know, the thing is that we, we really enjoy what we do and we live what we do. I mean, I could pretty much, aside from food, well, 
Mountain House, other freeze-dried stuff like that, I could live off of it. But I can live out of the store, really, with everything that I do on a day-to-day basis, and I probably spend way more money there than I'd like to admit. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, whenever it's your lifestyle, whenever it's your passion, that stuff just kind of comes. So I've been lucky. had a lot of people, you know, always heard way back in the day, uh, you know, if you want to succeed, surround yourself with people who are as good or better than you. And I think I've done that for the most part. Um, Obviously, we have challenges here and there. Helena is kind of small town. Sometimes you have a small pool to pick from, but uh, we always seem to come out on top. So how do you keep that that passion burning, working in something that you are passionate about outside of work? I I always worry that I love the outdoors, and with working the outdoors, I'm afraid that maybe I'll burn myself out and not like it as much as there ever a concern about that for you and and if so how do you make sure you balance that that's never actually really crossed my mind um that's good (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's not a bad thing um you know obviously there's days i i i it sounds weird but i'm not the the greatest people person in the world there's times that i don't want to deal with things i'm not really confrontational type person so um there's days that i just you know that's that's something that's in the job description. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to be. Those days definitely wear on you. But then, you know, the very next day you'll have a kid come in and say, yeah, I just moved here. I've never been fishing before. You know, what do I need to use? And, uh, you know, go through the list and just see his eyes light up and, you know, then come back the next week and tell you, you know, man, I had a great weekend. I caught a bunch of fish. You know, this was awesome. Um, That kind of brings you back around and, and, brings you back to reality and okay yeah so but I don't think I'll I'll ever be able to get burnout I mean my wife probably wishes I'd get a little more burnout but <laughs> I uh, I don't think I ever will that's only because she wants time to go hunting yeah herself. to do it herself yeah. exactly yeah. she's like hey slow down you know I, I requested these days off too so but no 90% of the time too I you know that's uh, the fun part about it is she hunted and she fished before me but she never boat hunted um, you know, getting her into some of that kind of stuff. A lot of my hunting's taken a back seat, and I, I'm absolutely, like, happy for that because it's so fun to see, you know, things I take for granted. I'm like, oh, yeah, darn, we we called that elk in, and just, he never gave us a shot. Oh, what a bummer day. And she's like, oh, my God, did you see that? That bull was, like, 15 yards away from us, like, shaking, super excited. So kind of, again, you know, brings you back around, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, this, this is a lot more fun day than I thought it was. So it's really, you know, a different kind of aspect to it and different I don't know different way to view it and it's been a blast for me and I'm looking forward to you know teaching all these things to my daughter now and she's sucking it all up you know she's wants to be outside all the time which that'll be a fun here in another couple of years when she can really climb up the hills and disappear on me so she's <laughs> a shed hunting fool already <laughs> yeah she uh she's very possessive of her sheds <laughs> She has quite the pile going for, you know, an 18-month-old girl. She does pretty well. Um, obviously, you know, she wouldn't get too far if it weren't for being on my back, but whenever we find them, they're hers. So <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't let go of them, and it's pretty fun. That's but cool. It's a blast. Like I said, I, I mean, she might grow up to be completely the opposite of us, but at least she'll be exposed to all of this stuff that we think is cool, and hopefully it'll stick. If it doesn't, well, I'll still support her in whatever she does, so. That's cool. You can only hope for the best. That's a good parenting philosophy. I mean, that's a good philosophy for anything, but I think good parenting philosophy for sure. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully common sense parenting works. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as you're talking about um, your daughter and introducing your wife to new things in in the outdoors, um, you guys at the store obviously do a lot to foster and mentor new hunters. You're involved with some other programs I know about. What's... why do you think it's so important to recruit these new hunters? A lot of people say, well, let their families do it or, or let them figure it out. But you you have obviously taken a very active role in, in helping foster this next generation of hunters. Why is that important? Well, I this is a pretty tough subject to, like, dance around, so I'll just go kind of head on. Yeah, just it. do it. A lot of times I get frustrated by, quote, unquote, hunters on social media who... I don't know, maybe you're in it for the right reasons, maybe you aren't, but sometimes it's not portrayed in the greatest of light. Um, everybody hunts for different reasons, uh, but sometimes there's just, you know, things that kind of come up that, eh, you know, kind of dance that line. Um, I try to, 
get people into it and get them, you know, thinking about things for the right reasons. Um, and, you know, do it for, for why they want it, not for how somebody else wants to see a photo or things like that. I think we lose track of that a lot. And, uh, you know, to, just to get somebody involved in what we do for what it is, you know, it's it's not something that you're going to get rich doing. This is something that's fun. This is a family tradition. This is a way to put food on the table. You know, all those types of things. And just, you know, enjoying the whole experience. Um, I really think, you know, Nowadays, some of that's lost with all the technology, so I'd rather, you know, no, let's let's turn it back, you know, a decade or two and get people into it for, you know, why I did. I mean, I've been bow hunting and hunting now for, this will be my, I think, 21st year, and, you know, back in the day, if you had tree bark camo, man, you were awesome. <laughs> now it's, you know, if you're not matching sick uh, with, you know... Uh, you know everything. Don't mix your yeah. subalpine and your whatever. Yeah, I no, mean. you can't. You can't do that because then you know someone's gonna look at you funny. And I'm like, man, I look back at some of my old photos and I just laugh because it's like, wow, like, yeah, there I was in 15 year old hand me downs and just going out there because I had a passion for it. And that's what what I'd really like to see people that are getting into it. You know, a lot of people get into it just just for the meat aspect of it because it's clean protein and you don't have to, well. Depending on how much you drive, you have to pay a lot for it. But you don't have to pay a lot for it at the store. You can process it yourself. You can know what it is. And, you know, that's super cool. I just, I really want, you know, basically, you know, do it for why you want to do it for your reasons, not somebody else's. So yeah. if I can if I can rub off on a few people and do that kind of thing, I'd, I'd be super happy. So Yeah, I think there's definitely a an inauthenticity if that's a word uh in a lot of in the social media generation that's coming up and it's not it's not just in hunting but we're gonna pick on hunting because that's what this is a hunting and outdoor podcast um and that that's been one of the the strange things for me um people that i that inspired me at first i'm realizing now are not as authentic as i thought they were and that's that's strange to me and I still appreciate them for what they are, but I'm also recognizing that there is that, you know, that, uh, there's kind of a hidden agenda to what they're doing and whether, and I, I guess I'm not the person to say what that is, but it, it is obvious when they are authentic. Mm -hmm. Authenticity stands out. Um, yeah. Uh, I like the, uh, the hashtag that you use real hunting <laughs> that, uh, I, I mean, that kind of, that kind of sums it up and, I like that you said that it's different for everybody. You know, what motivates me to go out and hunt is different than what motivates you. For me, a lot of it is the adventure and, and knowing where my food comes from and, and having that experience of doing it all myself. Um, why do you hunt? I mean, obviously you've been doing it for a while, so we're peeling back the layers here. But it's, We've kind of talked about this before, too, like the, I call it the evolution of a hunter. Yep. Um I don't know. Originally, growing up in Pennsylvania, it was super cool. Um, as a young kid, even you know the night before, well, let me rewind a little bit more. Public land wasn't as easy to come by in Pennsylvania as it is here. Yeah. And we own 40 acres or so, surrounded by a ton of other pro or public, or public and private property, and um, we'd always have a bunch of family come every year. The night before deer season opened, there'd be a ton of people in our basement camped out. You know having a good time, drinking coffee, playing cards, stuff like that. And it was really just that, that atmosphere that I really wanted to get into. And uh, I, I can imagine, or can remember, you know, being 10, 11 years old, just wishing I could go out hunting that next year because then it was, the legal age was 12. We didn't have like a, the mentor hunting that we do here. Kay. And uh, I'd sit out on our porch and it'd be, you know, freezing out and I'd be out there with a blanket and a, a sweatshirt on and just listening <laughs> for rifle shots you know just waiting because I mean a lot of the we sat in deer stands on oak trees things like that back there and a lot of them were within hearing distance of the house and you'd hear a shot and just that excitement that anticipation of going oh I wonder if they actually got something I remember my brother's first year of hunting he's two years older than me um, him and my dad sat at a stand right outside of our house and I heard a couple shots and I was all excited and see them coming back, and he was all dejected. And, yeah, I missed a giant buck <laughs> twice. But like just that, that camaraderie, that that atmosphere really got me into it. Um, 
It's like a bond or or brotherhood. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it was just one of those things that I knew from an early age that I couldn't live without. I mean, my dad took me archery hunting, I don't know, probably when I was five, six years old. And, you know, just having deer right there, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And, uh, yeah, I just took it and ran with it. Um, like I said, Pennsylvania, there wasn't a whole lot to hunt. There was spring turkey, um, fall turkey, and deer. And uh, I dove into that. I really had a passion for bow hunting, I think, more so because at the time... Um, you know, it was a little more fun. We we hunted, the rut was kind of differently there. Our seasons are a little bit different than they are here. Um, bow season was more when the rut was. Rifle season was after the rut. So I always liked calling animals. I mean, that's kind of my big thing. If I can call them, I like to hunt them. Um, and that to me was super cool. I could go out in a tree stand and rattle and pull in some deer and decide whether or not I wanted to shoot them. So that was pretty fun. Um, and, you know, back then, whenever I was young, it wasn't really a meat thing. It was, hey, I want to go out, have fun. I want to fill my tags because it's the cool thing to do. And my family did eat a lot of meat, but I wasn't, I wasn't involved in the processing. I wasn't involved in the cooking. I wasn't involved in any of that. I, I shot it, got it on the ground, field dressed it, drug it home with a four wheeler, and that was that. You know, it went in the back of the truck and disappeared somewhere, and then came back wrapped. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, whenever I moved to Montana, all of a sudden, all that luxury goes away. You're a broke college kid. You can't afford to buy beef. Your parents aren't there buying you food, stuff like that. So it changed a little bit. Um, you know, the very first year we were here, I'm trying to think, we we moved here in September, so we didn't have residency yet for anything. The cheapest things to buy, we could buy a whitetail doe tag for, I think, $75, and we could buy a waterfowl stamp for 50 So we all shot a bunch of does that year, and we shot a ton of ducks <laughs> and ate a lot of meat because that's, what we could basically afford, you know, broke college kids having no idea what we're in for. Um, so it kind of changed a little bit there. All of a sudden now I'm a more of a meat hunter and I never, you know, for the first five, 10 years I was here, I never let a tag go unfilled just because it was all about the meat. And I got into processing a lot more myself, kind of had a little bit of instruction, but more self-taught than anything, just trying to figure out how to break animals down, um, how to, how to wrap them, the cuts to make, so on and so forth so um, that kind of brought me into a new light and really made it more about you know meat um, then following after that for a while you know it was all about shooting limits and it was all about doing exactly how I wanted to um, but then you got kind of fun I mean I got a I got a dog and taught him how to retrieve birds most of it was instinct because I'm not that great of a teacher <laughs> um, but he was awesome and it was just it it kind of then got to the point where it was a lot more fun just for me to go out and watch him work. And, you know, I'd, I'd go out and shoot a limit of ducks, but it was really only because I wanted to train him and have him, uh, you know, do his thing. And he absolutely loved it. So, it, you know, then it wasn't so much about, oh, yeah, let's just go puddle jump a bunch of ducks. It was, okay, well, let's try to decoy him. Let's try to call him in. Let's try to do this. And, uh, you know, really starting to broaden horizons. Um after I moved to Helena, things got even a little bit more different. Uh, started to get into, you know, really get into sync where um, I figured the whole elk hunt thing out. Uh, had a really hard time the first couple years, and then all of a sudden one day it just clicked, and it was like year after year after year after year after year after year. We were always into elk. We were always getting shots at elk, you know, putting elk on the ground, and elk meat is delicious for anyone who doesn't know. If you don't know, I'm sorry about that, but um, hopefully someday you get to eat some. But, you know, that's that's a lot of protein going in the freezer, yeah. and uh, it's just a blast. I mean, it's a adrenaline rush like none other. I mean, I'm sure someone, you know, who's never hunted before could liken it to skydiving or something like that, just an adrenaline rush. Um, so, again, you know, kind of going back to the if I can talk to that animal and it reacts in a way that I can react back to it and somehow, you know, get it to come, I love it. I get I get off on that kind of stuff, you know, turkey hunting, elk hunting, waterfowl, you know, calling whitetails, you name it, that's a that's a blast to me. Um, so, you know, there I was kind of starting to change yet a little, little bit even more. And uh, then, you know, like I said, I, I met my wife. Um, she moved over here from Missoula, kind of took her out the first year. I actually think, yeah, it was our first year out hunting. We hunted really hard for the first uh, probably half of the season and got close to a lot of elk and the very tail end she ended up sticking a really nice six point 
Um, I mean, it was 15 yards away from us. It was awesome. We watched them drop, and it was the coolest thing ever. And then it was, you know, kind of changed my way of thinking. Like, it would have been awesome for me to shoot that, but I was so much more excited watching her do it. And, you know, knowing that, hey, somebody else is as excited as I am to do this. Um, and now, you know, that's... I still go out and shoot my fair share almost every year, but I like seeing, you know, other people get involved. Um, I haven't signed up for any classes yet, but I am now a certified bow hunter and hunter ed instructor for Montana. Sweet. So that'll be really fun. That's super cool, man. Super excited about that. Um, the hardest thing is going to be finding time to, to get the classes that I need to and get in them and, you know, do that, but that'll be super fun. Um, so, yeah, you know, just kind of going about my ways, and I, I, I still obviously like to hunt, and I like to fill tags, but I, I'd i like to get other people involved in it, too, and see their excitement, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it it all changes. We still eat a lot of meat, though, too, and I do all my own processing. I guess the uh, last few years I've turned more into, hey, let's let's make some fun stuff out of this. I mean, it's amazing what you can make. I made hot dogs last year, and my kid absolutely loved them. So, That's cool. Yeah, it's like, why buy some of this stuff whenever there's so much to it? You can't, you know, it's not just boring ground meat. You can do whatever you want to with the stuff, and it turns out great. So, Yeah, and you... Uh, We've got a we got wildlife in here with us. Yeah, the cat. She's vicious. She looks scary. <laughs> um, there's definitely a, like you said this evolution, and I'm in kind of this weird space where because of my age, I am able able. It's not the right word. I tend to think about things more than say a teenager starting off. All right, cat. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'm also this new hunter, so I have those same emotions that that a you know a 12 year old, 13 year old new hunter has. But I also think about it cerebr- cerebrally, like uh, like I am 30. So it's it's this weird. I'm in this weird space where I do want to I want to fill a lot of tags, and I also want to uh, have the experiences like you're talking about. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting as I continue to progress to see where eventually those two things kind of balance themselves out. Um, but I, I appreciate having people like you that set a good example for that because I think, I think a lot of new people come in and they don't have good examples for for how to balance that out. And as we're in a, an age where I think there's more, I'm trying to remember the number, but there's more hunters coming in later on in life than there ever have been before. And so there there needs to be uh, good examples and, and education opportunities so that we do have, you know, a, a responsible um, next generation of hunters. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is what do you think the the biggest challenge facing hunting as a lifestyle? What what is that big challenge that we've that we've got to deal with right now? I think sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot. Um, I don't, again, like I, I hate making it sound like I'm attacking somebody who likes to do the same stuff I do, but there's a there's a respectful way to do it. Um, you know, gone are the days when nobody got offended by a deer on your tailgate and blood running down the back of it as you're driving down the highway. Um, you know, and I, you don't want to roll over and play dead and, you know, give up something you love because it offends somebody, but at the same time, there's there's ways that that can be meshed. Um, and I think a lot of times there's some people that just say, nope, this is what I've always done. This is how I'm going to continue to do it. I don't care who it makes upset. I don't care who it makes mad. And to me, I don't know, everybody has their own mentality of things, but, you know, you see pictures where guys are pulling a side-by-side and, you know, on a trailer behind their pickup and they have deer posed like they're driving the side-by-side, you know, stuff like that where it's, you know, what does it really mean to them? Obviously, you know, the way I see it, that was that animal was living, you know, breathing, running around, having the time of its life less than an hour ago. And, you know, if I'm if I'm going to put it on the table, I'm gonna respect the fact that that's what it was and try to, you know, take good photos of it, you know, pose them in, in ways where they they don't look distressed or tongues hanging out or a lot of blood, stuff like that. Um and I think a lot of people don't think that way. And, you know, they they maybe don't should have to, but anymore the general public is, 
you know, it's, the odds are way against us that someone's going to be born and become a hunter. Um, just how it is. There's the odds are stacked against I think like six, seven percent of the general population hunts, and uh, you know, it's not the anti-hunters that I'm worried about because you're never going to change their mind. You can't even reason with them. But it's the people who are kind of in between, and you know, they see, hey, this guy's going out, you know, harvesting his animals as cleanly as he can. He's taking all the meat that he can. Um, he's feeding his family with it. That seems like a pretty cool deal. Or they see, hey, this guy's driving around, tossing bush light cans out the window, getting drunk, shooting deer from his pickup, and then you know, parading them all around town and probably spoiling. That's probably not the greatest example. And I don't think, you know, that's obviously an extreme. I don't think a lot of people are like that. But there's definitely that fine line where I think we as hunters could probably do a little bit better at promoting what we do, I guess you could say. Um, but I think, you know, honestly, especially with social media, God, things can spread like wildfire. And all it takes is one bad thing and everybody knows about it. Um but I think, you know, as as hunters who really respect what we're doing and who want to continue doing and pass it down to our kids, we kind of need to do some self-policing, too. You know, I uh, I probably do it in a more politi- political way than some, but I like to, you know, give people hard times when I see certain things, certain rules that aren't being followed, try to say, hey, you know, just just clean that up a little bit, if you would. And I sometimes I get a lot of people telling me that's none of my business, but... Then again, you know, kind of is your business. Yeah, though. yeah it kind of is my business. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I've done some dumb things in my younger days, and, and don't get me wrong. Like I said, you know, I I used to go out and just shoot limits of ducks, and not knowing if we were going to be able to eat them all or not. But I had a lot of people I could give them away to. You know, maybe some of them got wasted here along the, the ways, and I, I really, after a while, just kind of came to the, the real or reality that I can't keep doing this if I want to continue doing this. So. Um, you know, my stance now, I, I can't, if in, in my job, I can't have a wildlife violation. So that definitely cleaned up any of my thinking that I've ever had of doing things, you know, I guess on the borderline. Um, and I, I just, I don't do that now. I can't do that. And it's basically become a way of life now that that's, that's how I'm going to do it. So, um, yeah, I, that kind of went on a little bit further and I, no, that was great rabbit trail, but no, you. <laughs> You made a really good point, though, that the majority of of people that that hunt outdoors, fish, you know, recreate, generally in the outdoor space, they're good people. They're not the guys that are. Uh, remember last summer, those guys in Yellowstone that were vandalizing the. I forget what it was. It might have been the the pools. They were jumping in the pools or throwing stuff in the pools or yep. whatever it was. That's not the majority of people. Mm-hmm. That's that small 1%. The majority of hunters, same thing. They're not those guys that are driving around, you know, shooting out their windows. But because we live in such a, a media-driven world, those are the things that get grabbed onto. Mm-hmm. And those, unfortunately, speak louder than anything, any of the positive things you do. Those are going to be the things that catch people people's attention. Yeah. Now, whether that's right or wrong... That doesn't matter. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think that's right. I don't think that you should demonize an entire, you know, subsection of the the population because of one bad thing that somebody does. But that's just the that's the that's the cards we've been dealt, that's the rules of the game that we're playing with. So like you said, to argue, well, I should be able to do this, well maybe maybe you should. Maybe you should have the right to do that. But unfortunately, the world we live in you don't. And so if we want to keep doing the things that we love to do, self-policing, like we've got to self-police. And that's why I said when you said, well, I don't have the right to do that. I was like, well, if a guy's, in the words of Randy Newberg, if a guy is punching holes in the bottom of the boat, you might want to think about throwing that guy out of the boat <laughs> if he doesn't stop. Yep. And and I, I know the people that I associate with, even the people that we were talking about earlier where, you know, maybe the reason they were hunting was slightly questionable. They're not the guys that are doing that. For the most for 99% of the people that, that recreate outdoors, they're good, upstanding people. But that 1% is what's getting noticed. And the bad thing, I, well, this is a kind of double-edged sword. The thing that I absolutely hate in this world is people who just poach and they don't hunt. They shoot things, they kill things, they yeah. waste things. 
but we get likened to those types of people. And I love the fact that, you know, now uh, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, they always post things when they catch poachers and, like, the fines and stuff like that. I love seeing that, but I hate seeing that <laughs> because it's like, hey, you know, this is awesome. We're actually treating these people like they're supposed to be treated, but then the general non-hunting population looks at that and goes, oh, well, they're just shooting animals for the heads. Oh, that's what must all, all hunters must do. And yeah. then next thing you know, it's like, uh They don't see the workshop on how to <laughs> process deer and feed your family or the hundreds of thousands of pounds of meat that get donated to, you know, starving children in Montana. Like, they don't see that. It's exactly. That. They see the poacher who's after heads, and then all of a sudden now all hunters are trophy hunters and gives us all a bad name. And that's, you know, that, I don't know. It is what it is. I don't, I don't think that any person who does things legally by the book should ever be compared to somebody like that or likened to somebody like that, but that's what we have against us, so. Unfortunately. So, switching gears a little bit, what's the uh, what's the best thing that hunting has going for it right now? Like, what's the, that thing that we should all be really pumped about? Well, I'd like to think, you know, like we said, the 1% of the guys are doing it wrong, the 99% that are doing it right. Um, you know, that's, that's hard to come by. Uh, but you see it all the time, and uh, you know, you, a lot of people that you you question about their intentions turn around and do something fantastic the very next day, and it's like you know that's that's good to see. Like um, the guys from the Hush Crew, Instagram, all that stuff, they take a lot of heat. A lot of people give them a hard time for this and that and the other, and you know, exploiting animals, this whatever you want to call it. But then they turn around, they have you know their their videos where they they show the their films and then donate a ton of money to charities. Yep. Um. You know it it's awesome to see stuff like that. It's awesome to see people you know giving back. Um. You know the 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 one percent aren't the type of people that sign up to go pull fence off the mountain on a Rocky Mountain Elk Work Foundation Day. They don't do things like that where the ninety nine percent or let's just say even the fifty percent of people really do that. That's what we have going for us is that that good public face. Um, conservation as a whole, really, just the the guys that want to make things better for next year, the next decade, two decades from now, you know, a century from now. Um, that's what I think we have going for us. There's a lot of a lot of honest, a lot of good-hearted people in in involved in hunting right now. Yeah. So as a an individual that works in the hunting industry like i hate using i i know i said (laughs) i don't know what else to call it though i've been thinking i i've been thinking what what do you call it but i i can't think of anything else to to refer to is that do you have a better a better name i i'm really struggling with this we'll call it the hunting industry okay i'm sorry (laughs) no i hate it too i hate it too because i i don't like i don't like the that we take this tradition this this uh culture and we've made it like the industry but it is the way it is. So as someone that works in the the outdoor retail space, uh, how do you think these companies can effectively help with conservation? You know, you have a lot of companies like Sitka partners with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, Kuyu partners with uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation, um, Mossy Oak and a bunch of others are with the NWTF. You know, you see a lot of these organizations giving back profits or you know, designating a certain uh, item, you know, Avery Greenhead Gear, they do uh, Ducks Unlimited, <laughs> giving back parts of the profit to, you know, whatever needs to be done, whether it be wetlands restoration, whether it be, you know, uh, prescribed burns, um, anything like that, you know, just giving back a percentage of whatever they make, whether it be just a certain product or their all their product, you know, I think... Um, really helps because let's face it, you can have a, a banquet and you can have multiple banquets in the state and yeah, it's going to raise a lot of money, but it also takes money to, you know, to run those banquets. It takes money to, you know, promote work days. It, it takes a lot of money to do that. So anything that anyone from the industry can do to give back, I think is awesome. Um, and you're seeing that a lot more now these days, you know, you have to wonder maybe it's part marketing tactic or maybe it's part really like love of what they're doing and wanting to do with it. Um, either way is good to me, honestly. I could yeah. care less. I mean, one way or another, you're. I think you know sometimes good karma helps. That's why I try to go to all the sheep banquets that I can. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you should have seen the Utah Sports Expo um, this last year. When they were drawing the sheep tags, it was a stampede to get over there. And somebody asked me, they said, are you going over there? I was like, I have not built up enough karma to even have a chance at that. So, no, I'm not I'm not going. I'm not even going to waste the energy to walk over there. And, of course, I didn't draw. So, this is the way it is. It happens. Yeah. I think you hit on something that's a, a huge positive for, you know, the, the hunting culture community is that there's a, a shift, and it, it it's happened since I started hunting of companies giving back mm-hmm. um they they really and like you said it, it might be a marketing tool to me it doesn't really matter yeah they are regardless giving back. yeah yep. um and and i think that's huge because those those uh people that we look to for a good example they are setting a good example by giving back and it it is starting to become cool to mm-hmm. go pull fence with rocky mountain elk foundation mm-hmm. or go do a a goat count with the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. I mean, that's starting to become cool, which is a huge shift. And if it weren't for those companies setting that example, that wouldn't happen. So I think that's a huge positive. Yeah, and what they're giving back even too, like you said, those work days, they're getting people involved and, you know, opening some eyes that, hey, maybe I took some of this stuff for granted before, and now, you know, what can I do to do my part? I've seen, you know, even I go to a ton of banquets, and every year you see new people that, are now on the committees for these places, you know, trying to help out because, well, I don't necessarily know why, but it's it's cool to see new faces getting involved as well because, um, you know, a lot of the people running these banquets aren't going to be around forever. Right. Um, yeah. That was one of the the huge things that led me to want to sign up for hunter education was uh, I went to a basically just a big seminar where they had all the people from the state around and they did a bunch of teaching and different things like that and I noticed like 90% of the people in that building were my age or double my age and I thought man there's not a lot of young faces here who's going to carry this torch you know going forward and I kind of tried to recruit some people and jumped on board too and my wife had been bugging me forever but it really took that visualization to see that there's a lot of gray hair in this room and not a lot of, you know, young people here. And sooner or later, someone's got to pick up the ball. So, yeah, that uh, I think, you know, some of the things that these organizations do really does that for other people, too, I guess. So, yeah, I have that conversation almost on a daily basis with my job, uh, just talking to different people who they they uh, they haven't quite got to that point that you've got to where, oh, if we don't start reaching out and bringing people in eventually I won't be here anymore and no, I won't have filled my spot and if and I think if we all look at it like that it's my job to fill my spot when I'm gone there needs to be somebody to take my place and I think if if everyone did that and I mean what if we all said hey I'm gonna have two people to fill my spot I mean how we could grow this conservation community and you know this hunting community would that would be incredible um, and you guys at, at Sportsman's in Helena, you guys do a fantastic job of giving back to the community. I mean, seriously, I don't know if you guys get thanked enough, but you guys really do just a, a phenomenal job of, you know, helping out where you can, which we we all who are <laughs> the, the, the dirtbags down in the ditches, we, uh, we appreciate that because you guys make our jobs just a little bit, a little bit easier. Well, we try to do as best as we can. And usually if I help somebody out, I try to be like all in. Like I, again, I, I hate to kind of go back to it, but social media is huge. Yeah. And, you know, I try to share events, stuff like that too, as much as I can, even if I can't donate, you know, items or money or anything like that, I still try to try to help out the organization however I can with, with some sort of promotional exposure of some sort. So, One of the events you guys recently did made me think about this. You did a, a women's um, hunting night at the store. And since we're not women, I, I always try to tread carefully because I don't want to assume that I... I don't want to speak for women because I'm not one. But why do you think it's so important, number one, to bring women into hunting? And two, why have we been failing at that? Because I feel like... I feel like it's been uh, pretty male-dominated for a long time, and, and obviously we've kind of screwed up on uh, somewhere along the, the line. Well, I see a lot more, you know, recently. And I think uh, kind of the, the good old days, like back in the 50s, 60s, whatever, the, the man does the work, the woman stays in the kitchen type thing. 
I think that's always been kind of the idea behind hunting too. You know, it's a it's a rough sport. You know, it's cold out there. You got to be tough. Um, you know that I know a lot of people. That's how it was portrayed to them, and it. But now, you know, they they start to see in a different light, and a, a lot of these people are, you know, either single, have kids, or mothers. Doesn't matter. They just want to get into it because it's more family oriented now, and it never really was that before. I mean, even growing up, I could count on one hand the number of girls I went to, you know, my middle school with that hunted. It just didn't happen. But now, everywhere you go. You know, there's a pile of them, um, and I think you know we we do the ladies' night for one big reason. It, it you always tend to talk to women in the store, and they always seem to be really timid, and you know they they don't want to ask a question that they think is stupid. Um, and you know, men we're pretty egotistical. We'll do whatever we can. We'll lie. We'll pretend we know it. But women aren't necessarily like that, and they they want to know a lot of this stuff, but they don't want to ask those kind of questions. It seems. Whenever you bring a pile of them together, not only do they have a blast, but they ask those questions. And we have, you know, a lot of organizations like, you know, you guys there that really, you know, it, it's fun. It's it's uh, it's exciting. They see it in a whole new light that, you know, hey, I want to go do this with my husband. And, you know, a lot of times I, I talk to a lot of women that they just said, yeah, my husband refuses to hunt with me. He's, uh, you know, it's kind of his time. So I just, I, I don't do it. And I think, man, like, you have no idea what you're missing out on. Not only is my wife a fantastic hunting companion, she's always there to pick me up if I'm down, and you know, I'm, it's usually the other way around. She's mad at me because we hike too far, <laughs> but I mean, it's awesome. Whenever we put an elk down on the ground, I don't have to worry about her pulling her fair share. I mean, some of my buddies can't even pack out elk like she can. So, but without ever taking her, I'd have never known. And I mean, that was just kind of a given right into the right into our relationship. Was like, well, I'm gonna go hunting you come in and she's like yeah and you know yeah. she said she'd been raised hunting but never really archery hunted and uh that was kind of a new thing for her and, and she's killed it up until the time that you know we had hazel and she was not hunting as much man she put a lot of stuff on the ground with her bow and it's really cool to see like her excitement but i think you know just like anything else it's bringing new hunters in it's bringing new people and a lot of times you know i think women are a little bit more I don't know, I guess educated about what, what they post and a little more uh, careful what they post, pictures, things like that, a little more clean. So they're probably better off for us than, than men are. Speaking of the better halves, Hi. I just walked in. Oh, man. Oh, you spill water on. everywhere. Come here, you. Hi. We have a special guest with us. Says, hey, what's yeah. up? <laughs> so how do you... Um, that was a great answer, by the way. I really... Th- that's one of the great things that I love about uh, what you guys do is you guys are pretty pretty inclusive and uh, that's really important. I think uh, the number was something like if if the the woman in the family, the wife, the mother, the the girlfriend, if they if they hunt, it's something like seventy five percent of the the kids in that family will continue to hunt afterwards. And so that's, I mean, that's huge. I don't think if uh, my wife didn't do the same stuff that I do that I'd be even allowed to take my daughter doing some of the things that we do now because she just, you know, it probably wouldn't be as important to her. Huh, yeah, and you like to have fun. So, yeah, no, absolutely, I I agree with that 100%. So how do you guys balance that? I mean, that's that's got to be hard. Huh. Well, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of time that gets spent with the baby more so than anything else. Um, you know, I got we have pretty good family. My wife's parents they drive over from Missoula quite often to hang out here with the daughter. Um, my dad lives in town here. He helps out however he can. Um, we obviously don't go nearly as much as we used to, and uh, you know the the long trips are kind of out of the question. But we just get in here and there however we can, and uh, we've learned to get a little bit smarter and and find places closer to home. And <laughs> it's actually kind of funny, the flip side of that, you know, you'd think you'd want to be out there more and more as much as, as I used to, but anymore it's like, you know, you get out there for like half the day and things are slow. You're like, well, I could really be at home hanging out with my kiddo, having some fun right now. Yeah. And then you look at your wife and she's saying the same thing. And it's like, ah, let's get out of here. <laughs> so it's funny how priorities shift. Yeah. But 
yeah, between, you know, two of us working full time and hunting season, it's it's kind of every man for himself would grab whatever we can and and go from there. Yeah. Well, and thank goodness for things like Onyx Maps that let you find those little pockets close to home so that you can devote more time to your family. I mean, that's the technology that lets us be able to continue to do things we love in this ever-changing world is pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Do we need to take a pause for you to... Amanda? Do we need to take a break? Okay. Yeah, I think we need to take a quick break. We can take a quick break. All right. And we're back. Took a little little daddy time out. You got a nice shower in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the object was to give the kid a bath, and I got one as well. So... <laughs> uh, so I think the listeners would be very disappointed if you didn't share a hunting story with us. Do you have uh, one that just really sticks out in your mind? Just one? Uh, I know. I'm making you think here. Um, probably, I don't know, there's so many that are memorable. Um, you know, here I am talking about how much I really enjoy getting my wife involved in hunting. I'd be you know, silly if I didn't tell the story about her first elk. Um, that sounds like a so good that's one. Probably going to be it. I don't think I've heard this story either. It's a pretty good one. Um, her and I had been hunting a brand new area that I had never hunted before. Um, <laughs> the cat really wants to hear this too. Um, never hunted this area before. Found it kind of by fluke. Um, went in there. <laughs> a bit of call okay. Charlie, hey, come here. Here, just do this. Maybe five or six times she'll give it up. No, get away from the camera. All right. So anyhow, um, new area. Never really hunted it before. Found it. Uh, first night we walked in there, there's elk screaming everywhere. And I say walked in there, but we had to hike quite a ways. I was back in there a little bit. Um, really, really neat country. Kind of off the beaten path. Not a lot of activity there as far as humans go, but a lot of elk. Um, so we hunted this one particular bull a lot. And we named him Piggy because he just like <laughs> roared. Um, big, big, big bull. We only saw him two or three times, and man, was he a doozy. But we chased him all over this mountaintop, and it's all, you know, thick, brushy, rocky terrain. Not easy, like the wide-open stuff you see on TV. Um, rarely did you get a glimpse of him, but you could always tell it was him whenever he bugled. So we chased him around and around and around forever, and... Uh, we were hunting with one of my, or my dad and two of his friends, and Amanda had actually had to come back down for work, and uh, their last day they were hunting, we heard this bull screaming, and it had been kind of a weird past couple of days for them, they're like, oh no, it's our last day, let's just get out of here, and I said, well, uh, I'll meet you guys back at camp, I'm going to go chase this bull, and they must have sensed the excitement in my voice, so they came, you know, running after with me, and called this bull in and uh, biggest bull I've honestly seen in the wild on public land or you could actually hunt oh my gosh called him in at 25 yards I'm at full draw and I'm sitting there thinking man me and my wife like earned this bull and if I shot it without her it wouldn't be the same and then the other part of me is going shoot this bull you idiot <laughs> <laughs> and I look back you know off to my side and we were all like it was lined up like a firing squad and these two other guys are right there and I thought, well, you know, what kind of guy am I going to be if their last day, and they didn't live here either, their last day of their hunt, I shoot this giant bull off from underneath them. And just when I'm thinking, man, they must not have a shot because they're not shooting, they both touch off and one shot high and one shot low. And the bull blew out of there. It's like, oh, well, the good news is he's still around. The bad news is he's a little bit smarter now. So a couple of days later, me and my wife went up there, intent on finding this bull, um, I don't usually pick a certain individual animal out. I'm kind of that guy that if the opportunity presents it and it's a cool hunt, I I take the animal. Yeah, But absolutely. this bull, it was kind of different. I was like, we need to get this bull. Um, well, that bull didn't bugle that night, uh, but it was kind of a weird, windy, rainy night, and uh, the elk weren't talking a whole lot. When they finally started firing up, um, we took off kind of running in the direction of them. Had to play around a little bit to get the wind right, came in, and... There must have been a hot cow because there were three or four bulls just screaming. And I start bugling a little bit, a couple soft cow calls, and I see a bull coming. I'm like, all right, cool. He came across this little opening and he stopped. And I told Amanda, she was just to my left, that 
didn't know if she could see it or not. I said, get ready, here he comes. She's like, oh, yeah, I can see him. I'm like, well, okay. And then I look where she's looking, and here comes another bull, and he was about 50 yards away from us. I'm like, oh, boy. So he went behind a tree and kind of stopped, and I just pointed the bugle away from him, bugled up the hill, and he came walking right up. And she had never, I think that was actually the first bull she had in bow range. And we both drew back, and whenever he came up, I was t- I was telling her to shoot him, and I was squeaking through my diaphragm. So this bull is looking at us like, what is going on here? Like, <laughs> what is this noise? And uh, <laughs> he whirled to run, and she shot, and I shot, and I didn't even realize I had shot in the whole... It was like tons of excitement. I mean, my heart was beating out of my chest. <laughs> I've killed a couple elk before this, but it was going insane. And all I see is whenever he whirls to run, her pink fletch just buried, and he was quartering away a little bit when he, she hit him, and he, like, you know, three ribs in from the back, just angled up perfect, and I'm like, that bull was toast. And he lunged pretty hard, and he took off, run a little bit, and then about 20 yards, he just started to slow down, and he tipped over right inside of us, and I was, I couldn't believe what was going on. I was super excited. It had been actually a pretty hard season. Uh, we'd been into a lot of elk, but just nothing, you know, happening. And then here, like, we finally did it, put it together. And she was pretty elated. And at the same time, she's like, why did you shoot? What? She's like, yeah, you shot. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I don't have it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Long story short, it was was pretty obvious. You know, she she just smoked him, and there was no doubts. And she, you know, was pretty excited about that. That's cool. Um, So that was was awesome. We get the bull down, go up, quarter it. We were about... Maybe just shy of four miles from the pickup. Whenever she put him down, so we quartered him, and uh, it was starting to rain a little bit. So I said, "Let's just hang him. We'll take what we can out tonight." Um, obviously, this was before I thought I would be smart and carry a pack that could also haul meat. Um, <laughs> but we took, I think, uh, I think we took the antlers, we took the back straps, tenderloins, and some neck meat out, if I remember right. And uh, that was about what we could carry in the pack. And we get down off the mountain, and it was dark as dark can be and late at night. And I uh, said, well, we'll come back up for, you know, the rest of them tomorrow. So I had to go into work a little bit in the morning, and I think she was off that day. Uh, went and grabbed her, and it was just pouring the whole day. And we knew we were going to get wet. Uh, what we didn't know is what we were going to be walking into eight. 10 inches of snow. Oh, gosh. So once we got a certain elevation, about a quarter of the way there, it was just all snow the rest of the way. I was like, well, I brought a fire, like stuff to make a fire, so I was happy about that because I knew we were going to get soaked. I thought, well, it'd be good to be, you know, kind of warm at least while we're getting this taken care of. So we get up there, and everything is just like frozen. There was a sheet of ice on everything, couldn't start a fire, and it was cold and, like, like I said, eight, 10 inches of snow and had a decision to make really quick. It was like, well, it's probably only going to get worse up here, so there's no sense in just trying to take, you know, a little bit. We had the shoulders and we had the hind quarters. So I really, probably as fast as I've ever deboned anything in my life, deboned both or all those, loaded up the packs, and Amanda was, like, shaking cold because she was just sitting there the whole time. We couldn't, we even tried to start a fire and it wasn't happening. Um, so it was just like, well, okay, let's get off this mountain as fast as we can. And we basically like sprinted for the first half mile. <laughs> and finally she's like, can we slow down a little bit? I'm like, yeah, you warm? She's like, yep, okay, perfect, we can slow down. But um, I've been in some weird situations out here before where wasn't planning for the weather and got got lucky to get out as good a shape as I did and, you know, beginning stages of hypothermia type thing. And I was not letting that happen where we were because it was a long hike out. Um and she packed out, I don't even remember how much it was, like 45, 50 pounds of meat. And just never once complained. And in fact, a couple of times, like, I just need to stop for a couple of minutes. No, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And she pushed me the whole way down the hill. And we got back to the truck, and it was like, ah, oh, so nice that is over. But <laughs> honestly, like, she was pretty tough. I like to, I like to make fun of her a little bit because she gets mad at me for the hikes we go on. And, you know, I always say, like, oh, yeah, way more mentally tough than her. But whenever <laughs> it comes down to it, no, 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 she's definitely tough. So um, that was super cool, and that was her first animal she ever shot with a bow. It was a nice six-point bull, so that was pretty cool. It was like, where do you go from there? Um, and since then, she hasn't taken another elk, but we I have a joke. She only gets opportunities at six points, so um, we've never called in really a small bull for her. And 
always for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, some people it's quality over quantity. What can you say? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was a really cool hunt, and uh, it sticks out in my mind for many reasons. But you know, just her excitement, and then the uh, it was just sheer pain trying to get out of there. How we got it out, and just you know, comes back full circle, makes you remember what you're doing while you're doing it and every single bit of that elk was delicious i don't care if it tasted terrible or not just yeah. because of what it took to get it to where it was so that was pretty pretty fun hunt and i mean there's plenty of other stories but that one that one was pretty awesome that's awesome man yeah the best experiences in the outdoors happen with other people it's it's rare that it's something where it's just you but it's it's what's going on with your friends and your family that make it amazing as we wrap up here, I guess I just want to recognize you for uh, all the good work you do for other people. Like you're, you're one of the most giving people that I've met, and that's uh, that's refreshing in this world of me, me, me. So thank you for uh, helping me and helping other people. We uh, we appreciate that. Don't tell too many people that. No, I don't, I don't give many people away my secret dog spots, but <laughs> well, it's a good it's a good thing that many people listen to this podcast. It'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want him knocking on my door. I heard Marcus say. Marcus yeah. says that you know this spot where I can get a six point. <laughs> uh, well, I got three questions for you just as we wrap up here. Okay. Uh, the first one is, what is the thing you're most excited about at this moment in your life? Um, hmm, what well, I have to say the fact that uh, my daughter is now getting into all the things we are getting into and you know she's a little over 18 months old now it, it's been really hard to sit back and oh the weather isn't right so we can't do anything today you know and especially when she was smaller everything had to be perfect if we were going to be able to get out now we get out at least you know once or twice a week um, get to explore like I get to fulfill that need I had and at the same time you know, teach her everything, and she's just sucking it all in and loving it all. So that is probably what I'm most excited about, A, being able to get back out and do everything that I've loved that I pretty much haven't been able to for the past year and sharing it with her. Um, my wife and I don't get a whole lot of time off together, but when we do, we try to do things as a family and go do fun stuff like that, and that's been a blast. I mean, just being able to have nice weather or even if the weather isn't fantastic, you don't have to worry about her as much. She's a little bit tougher now than she was, you know, this time last year when she was a baby but um yeah just just getting out and having fun with her and you know us as a family again doing what we really love to do that's cool probably my most exciting thing these days that's a good thing to be excited <laughs> about for sure uh what's something you want to learn about in the near future oh. which i know is kind of a weird question because you know a ton of stuff already but is there something that you've been thinking about wanting to learn how to do I want to learn how to find big mule deer because out of everything <laughs> that I've ever hunted, I cannot find a big mule deer. I like to make fun of myself all the time. and You know, I, I see all these memes, oh, guys who won't shoot a deer this year. I'm like, no, I'm good for a two-point guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I mean, really big mule deer are a thing that I, I mean, I know they exist. I hunt in some of the places where they are, and I know people that take pe or take deer out of there. It's just I, I, I want to learn more on the aspect of slowing down you know doing more glassing with optics um i've never killed an elk with a rifle either so that's another thing you know i'd like to figure out that whole game because i know people do it um and do it consistently and, and, and exceptionally well i don't so uh i would say you know slowing down trying to find a big deer sooner or later because that would be awesome that's like my buckle list thing but learning you know how to put time behind the glass when to put time behind the glass studying the country a little bit more instead of just popping over a ridge. Yep, nope, nothing there going on and probably passed up, you know, five or six animals. So that's right. slowing down is my new thing I think I'm going to try out. So I think I told you about my mule deer that I shot last year, but what I think I didn't tell you was, so I shot a, it was a decent 3 by 3 It was the last hour of the last day I had to hunt, so it was like I was very, very happy. And, and that's not me making an excuse. Like I would have been happy with this deer either way, but it just kind of worked out and he was the one I got um but what <laughs> what cracked me up was I was at the bar that night grabbing a burger and started talking to this other hunter he's like yeah he's like my son shot a really nice mule deer I was like oh cool like does he have it here I'd love to see it he's like yeah let's go out to the truck dude I could not fit my hand around the base of this mule deer's rack and 
I I know that this thing was a 200 inch mule deer. Like when yeah. you see a 200 inch mule deer, like you know, you know it. Yeah. And I I looked at him as like, I'm not. I don't usually ask this question, but do you mind if I ask the general, like very generally, where you you got this deer? And he was he like told me the spot, and it was like a mile from where mine was. And I was like, Are you kidding me? I probably drove by the spot where they shot this deer from guaranteed like it was that close uh, yeah i could see that yeah and that's yeah mule deer <laughs> they're funny killing big, big mule deer is an art form and the guys that figure out how to do it they just do it consistently once they figure it out i'll be that guy someday hopefully i think you will be we'll see yeah. i don't know and then you'll have to tell me what your spot absolutely we'll share it on here yeah <laughs> coordinates and everything we'll, we'll text out the onyx <laughs> location <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> the last question I had for you, uh, have you seen the movie Jeremiah Johnson? Of course. Okay. So that scene where Jeremiah finds the, uh, old trapper frozen in the snow with a rifle and he's written a note to whoever finds him that he's willing the rifle to them. If, uh, if you were the guy that got mulled by the grizzly bear and you're lying in the snow, what's the message you're leaving behind? <sighs> You're going to have to fight my wife for my GPS coordinates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah, that's a good message to leave. And on that note, thanks, Chris. Appreciate having you on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, friends, another podcast is in the books. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. The music for this episode was Until the End by Pansky. You can find more great music from our buddy Pansky by following the links in the show notes. For more great content, connect with Urban to Country on social media or on our website, urbantocountry.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a review. Your feedback helps us as we develop content for future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, make life epic.